0: All right, well, we're going to get started <laughs> while everybody's filling in here. Man, hello, everybody. Thanks for coming. My name's Skyler. I'm the director of the Salt Company in Lincoln. Oh, dang. Yeah, I got, I got some Lincoln support, I guess. That's nice. Hey, I know that uh, this is the third breakout session of three, so you guys have been drinking from the fire hydrant for like four hours. So here's my promise to you. This won't be short, and it's also talking about suffering. So, it just is what it is. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Now, I want to. I want to start by um, reading for you guys. I don't actually even know if this is okay to do, but I'm going to read for you guys a verse that I can genuinely tell you was my least favorite verse in the Bible for about a year. And if we're going to get even more vulnerable, because we've only got forty five minutes together, I would maybe go as far to say that I hated this verse in the Bible for a year. It was in Job, and this is after Job has lost everything in his life. So Job was considered, the Bible says he was a righteous man, and he loses everything. Uh, His livestock is stolen. All of his children die in an accident. He loses his property. His wife leaves him and tells him to curse God and die. He has sores covering his body. And in that state, he's lost everything. Job says this in Job 1, 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I hated that verse. The reason why is because when you're in the midst of suffering, like I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how someone who had lost everything could say those things, the Lord gives and he takes away, but then end it with blessed be the name of the Lord didn't make any sense to me, didn't understand it, not even a little. Now, if you're here in this breakout, I'm assuming, considering, I mean, we're not hiding anything, it's literally called suffering. If you're here, I'm assuming that you're in one of three groups. One, I'm assuming that there's people in this room right now that feel like you're getting kicked in the chest by life. You just feel you're getting beaten down by life, like there's very little light at the end of the tunnel. You're you're, you're living in darkness. Two, The one you wanted to go to was full, so you got like shepherded like livestock into this one. Welcome. Three, if that's you, into three, you automatically fall in the last category of people. Maybe you're not in a season of suffering and pain now, but in the next decade, you will be. In the next decade, you and I will encounter seasons that feel like nothing but darkness and pain. And if you're in that now, here's what you know to be true. You know that there's no quick fix for suffering. There's no amount of like anything that I can give you in 45 minutes where you'll walk out of these doors and be like, whew, I'm better. So here's the three things I want to accomplish in this time. They're alliterated because I'm a Baptist. Here's the three things. (laughs) Story, shepherding, and strategy. I want us to walk out of here trying to have a better understanding and process of our story. Two, I want to give you some shepherding for the midst, like in the midst of our pain and suffering. And three is strategy. I want us to have like a strategy. How do we like leave this place and actually have a day-to-day strategy through my suffering? Because it's not just going to get better. So first, you, if, I want you to like kind of know where I'm coming from a little bit. I want you to understand my story. I never thought in a million years that I would have to know what an arteriovenous malformation is, ever. I don't like biology. You could not pay me to take an anatomy class. I never thought I'd need to know what an arteriovenous malformation was. Then my wife and I had our daughter. Her name was Ruth. Ruth is the sweetest, most compassionate, most amazing little girl that you'll ever meet. I'm biased, obviously. Um, And Ruth is a totally normal girl for a year, the first year of her life. For 12 months, she was um, starting to take some steps. She was talking. She was developing. She was playing with friends. And In the next six or seven months in Ruth's life, so from ages 12 months to 18, 19 months, we started to notice things in Ruth. Like, we started to notice things in her life that weren't normal. The things that were happening stopped. The things that had happened started to regress. Like, she stopped taking steps. She stopped talking. She stopped developing. She stopped doing anything with her fine motor skills. She stopped interacting with friends. Eventually, she started going backwards. She stopped barely, basically moving. We moved to just crawling. There was no more pointing. There was no stacking. There was nothing. We had no idea what was going on. And that all culminated in a moment in August when my wife hears my daughter moaning in her crib and walks into the bedroom and there's Ruth on her stomach just crying and she can't move. So we go to the hospital and that's where we get the diagnosis that Ruth is diagnosed with an arteriovenous malformation, an AVM. What does that mean? I'm not going to explain that much because I don't know, Honestly. But it's basically like your arteries and your veins, arteriovenous, your arteries and your veins have a malformation in the brain. So the blood doesn't go into the brain to nourish it, but it goes up to the brain, around the brain, and back down to the heart without actually accomplishing what the blood was meant to accomplish. And so what, what that diagnosis led to was months of not knowing if our daughter would live or die, brain surgery after brain surgery after brain surgery, weeks on end in the PICU, um, moment, like months where we had to watch our daughter hooked up to machines, being carted off into surgeries, six, seven-hour surgeries that we did not know if she would make it out alive. And there's one Bible verse. There's like one chapter in the Bible that gave me some sort of comfort. Do you know what it was? It wasn't like John 3. It was Psalm 88. Do you want to know why? Psalm 88 the only psalm in the Bible that doesn't have any good news. It ends by saying, darkness is my only friend. I was like, finally, at least somebody gets it, you know? Like, that was it. What's your story? Now, I know what just happened. Like, I felt the sweeping, like, motion of everybody being like, well, well, not everybody, but most people are like, I never had a kid. I never had to go through that. So I guess my problem's not that bad. I'm going to go home now. And I don't want you to do that. I literally don't want you to do that at all. Here's why. is because there's people in this room that have experienced worse than I have. There's people at this conference that have experienced far worse than my wife and I have. And the goal isn't to just like get some perspective and realize that other people have had harder things in life. So I guess my pain's not that big of a deal. No, the goal is we need to take our pain, no matter how big or small, and figure out how do I process it? And how do I take it to the Lord? How do I endure through pain? Because guess what? In the next 20, 30, 40 years, your life, my life, we're just going to keep having things that are hard. We're going to keep having pain in life. So don't listen to my story and think to yourself, man, what I went through doesn't matter. No, how do we take our stories and actually Process them, understand them. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do this. You can take out a notebook or a phone. If you don't have a notebook, that's fine. Um, And just the notes section on your phone. And all I want you to do is literally take a couple minutes, and I just want you to physically write down or type out on your phone, what are a couple things in your life right now that are the most painful? You're not going to have to show anybody or tell anybody. I just literally want you to have to look at your own writing of what is the most painful things in life right now. Now, something that's helpful to understand is that we are, um, as humans, we're storytelling creatures. Like we imagine our own lives in a story, which means we have a backstory. Backstories aren't just for like kids that get bit by a radioactive iguana and they're a superhero now. Like you have a backstory and like what your life has led to. You have people in your life that you care about, talents, giftings. And here's what that means. What that means is because we're storytelling people. We imagine, whether we acknowledge or not, that our lives are on a trajectory. Like we anticipate that that's going somewhere. You know what I'm saying? That our lives, we imagine they're going somewhere. So here's what happens. When we like have this narrative and something happens in our life or suffering and pain happens, it collapses the narrative and what I mean by that is all the things that we expected our life would be, like the places that we expected our life would go, they're affected in different ways when we go through pain and suffering and hardship. We imagine that like something bad happens and this wound gets broken, like just burst it open and then slowly it just kind of mends. But actually what happens is in life, and if you're in a season like this, you know it, that you have seasons where you're like, I'm doing great, and then I'm terrible, and I'm crying in a bathroom, and then I'm good, and then the next day I like hate everyone that I talk to. Like, Why would that be the case? It's because when things happen in life, not only are you grieving or going through the pain of something that did happen, but you're also grieving and going through the pain of like all the future things that you thought were going to happen that aren't happening because this thing happened. Like I still have to go through the pain of seeing that my daughter is not going to like might not go to the preschool that her friends were on the right time. Like I still might go through the things where my daughter walks different than all the other kids and might get bullied for it. Like I still go through those things and you go through those things too of like I thought I'd be at this conference with this significant other and it's gone like it's broken and that's not a light thing like it's just gone. The life that I thought I was going to live is broken. I thought Christmas was going to be good, good, but this person is gone, like sickness or death or family brokenness, which you should have gone to the other breakout, but we're here now. So, but like I imagine my life would be different. And so what happens in our life is we don't just have some wounds way back there, but every moment, like all these moments come up that cause new emotions because the way we thought our life was going is different than it is now going. And so here's what I want you to do with that list that you just had. Um, I want you to circle one of those things. Like the thing that you would say is the most painful right now. And all I want you to do is take a couple minutes. And if you're listening on the podcast later, um, I'd like you to do the same thing. I'd like you to take a couple minutes to write, what do you, like, what do you think your life would have been that this pain and suffering has changed it? Like, what did this, what's messed up in life because of this current circumstance? Okay. Why did we, why did we do that? I didn't do it to pass out cupcakes and we all like put our candle in there. We all have our pity parties for one about like how hard life is right now. The reason why we do that partly is because I remember the first time I did that to actually process, to be like, wait a minute, I'm like in a ton of pain and feel it all the time. So I'd love for one of the reasons we did it so that you could actually maybe hopefully for the first time process some of the things that have happened in your life and how it affects you currently. But secondly, I wanted to show us something that, like, you know what's just some of the worst advice? When somebody, you go through something hard, somebody, like, lovingly puts their hand on your shoulder, and they're like, man, time heals all wounds. You know what a flaming pile of garbage that is? Like, how horrible that is? No, it doesn't. You know what time does? Time just brings up the old wounds, it doesn't heal anything. All the time does is slowly reveal to us how messed up we still are from the other stuff. What we need is something different than just like time and perspective. We need something different to heal us in the midst of suffering. So you'll take that list and you're just going to, you're not going to do anything with it for a minute. We're going to, I'm going to move from story to shepherding. And I want us to try to understand who is it that can heal us in the midst of suffering and pain. And to do that, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 2. I'd love to take you to the story of a rabbi and his mom at a wedding. His name's Jesus. So here's the story Jesus and his mom are at a wedding. A wedding celebration would have been multiple days, and it's just like crazy. People are celebrating, they're joyful. It's a party, like, people are going nuts. And this moment happens where Jesus' mom comes to him and she says, Jesus, the wine has run out. Okay, so what's the request? The request is she's saying, Jesus, can you turn the water into wine? Can you like, but why? To keep the party going, to like continue the celebration. These people are going crazy. They're joyful. Everyone's going wild. Lord, Lord, come and Jesus, would you turn the water into wine to keep the party going, keep the joy and the celebration going? And Jesus has this bizarre response that is not traditionally how you and I would talk to mom. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? What? What what is that response? And then he says this bizarre thing. My hour has not yet come. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now for us to understand this and what it has to do with suffering and pain, we need to look at two things. One, where is he? And two, what does he say? First, where is he? He's at a wedding. Tim Keller puts it this way: What do you do at a wedding? You like, celebrate, and you think about your own wedding. If you've been if you are married, which is probably not demographically a huge number of you, but you think about what your wedding was like, and if you're not married, You think about your wedding in the future. This is what you do at a wedding. You celebrate and you think about your own wedding. And what happens in this moment is Jesus is thinking towards his wedding. What is that? Well, the Bible would describe it as the wedding feast of the Lamb. In other words, this is the moment when the church is united to Christ forever in perfect abundance and unity and harmony and delight It's the perfect marriage. This is what Jesus is looking for, is that there is a moment when the sinful, rebellious people who have been adopted into the family of God actually have this wedding feast with their groom, like the church gets brought in to marry Jesus, and it's perfect forever. That's what he's looking towards. What do you do at a wedding? You're looking towards your own, and Jesus is sitting at this wedding thinking of his own. That's where he is. Second, what does he say? He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? We're going to move past that. And he says, my hour has not yet come. When Jesus talks in the Bible about the hour, that like singular hour, it's always referring to one thing, a moment in time, the cross. What is the cross? The cross is where Jesus would go and be hung and slaughtered for his people, the atoning, sin-bearing sacrifice for his people. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus is sitting at a wedding, thinking of his own wedding, knowing that the only way that there will be a church to be married to is if he first goes through the most unimaginable suffering and pain that we could ever, like something that we could never even fathom. He has to go there first to get to his wedding. And so when his mom comes and says, do your first miracle, like start your ministry, he says, my hour's not yet come, meaning he's sitting at the wedding in sorrow. He's sitting there thinking, I know what I'm going to have to do to get to my own wedding. Here's how Keller puts it. Jesus sits in the midst of joy and celebration, sipping on the cup of sorrow so that you and I can sit in the midst of suffering and pain and sip on the cup of joy. Jesus sits in a wedding he, he sits here, surrounded by celebration and partying and celebrating the wedding. Like, he's sitting in the midst of that, thinking about the fact that he will go to be maimed on a cross, actually crushed for the punishment of sin for the people. Like, you remember, Ike talked about last night that we're, by nature, children of wrath, that anger towards sin, condemnation, that Jesus is thinking, I need to be crushed before I have my wedding. So that you and I can sit in the midst of pain and suffering and sorrow and we can drink the cup of joy knowing that all the pain we feel in our lives, all the pain that you feel in your life is but a shadow compared to the substance of misery that the Savior went through on the cross. We can sit in the midst of what feels like hell knowing that we won't go there, that Jesus has conquered sin and Satan and death. And he chose to do that. Here's another way to put it. You and I have a Savior that went lower than we ever could. We don't have a God that's far off and aloof, staring from a distance. We have a God that saw you and me and said more than any suffering that they could ever experience, there is a condemnation coming. And he came lower than we ever could, died on a cross, and then resurrected to give us resurrection hope in the midst of our suffering and pain. Now, I know, without a doubt, in a room this size, there's for sure, like, and I'm so happy that you're here, people, some of you are here just trying to figure out what is this whole Christianity thing about? Like, who's Jesus? Do I actually want to follow him? And let me just make an appeal to you for a minute that, I think the gospel is like the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus is the best solution to suffering and pain. Because whether you're a Christian or not, guess what? There's one thing we all have in common is that life kind of sucks. You know, like that's what we've all got in common is that it is going to be hard. And I think the gospel of Jesus gives us the best solution in the midst of suffering and pain. And here's what I mean. Imagine all the other solutions when you're in the pit of despair. Like you're in the pit and you're looking up and you're like, there's nothing else. There's nothing good. I can't see anything. What are you going to do? You're going to have pity on yourself. I'm just going to dig deeper. You know, darkness is my friend. I'm just living in it. Are you going to, are you going to medicate with porn or alcohol or drugs or buying things or food or bullying or what? Are you going to medicate? Then you're still in the pit, just heaping shame and guilt on yourself. Are we going to go to self-help? Maybe I'm just going to get a six pack and that'll fix it, right? But here's the problem. The best that I can do is feel a little better, but it doesn't fix all the suffering and the pain and the wounds that are in here. Maybe another religion will help. Every other world religion, every other one of them has a God who's there looking here and telling here what to do to get to there. Every one of them. Some of them say you just need to detach from reality. Some of them say you need to follow a certain set of rules. But the problem is you and I can't detach from reality because pain's still there. We can't follow the rules because we break them and fall back into the pit. But the gospel is that here God saw us in suffering and pain and came to us. He came lower than we ever could. So that in his resurrection, we could be exalted with him. Romans 8 puts it this way. I do not consider the sufferings of the present time. Everybody in the room needs to literally hear this. I don't consider the sufferings of the present time worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. In other words, if we're on a scale here, like I'm going through crap right now. But it's not compared to the suffering that Jesus went through, the resurrection that he that he achieved and the life and glory that he gives to us. The shepherding in the midst of pain is that we have a savior that went lower than we ever could so that we could be exalted. There's an old song. I don't even know if it's old. There's a song by John Mark McMillan called the road, the rock, the road, the rocks and the weeds. And, and it, it says, uh, and this was like, this was like the song that my wife and I listened to like every day in the hospital. And there was just a, this line that says, I don't have answers for hurt, knees, and cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me. And that's the gospel. Now, if you look at your list, just look at your list and then look at what I had just said about like the glories of Jesus coming to suffer on your behalf. and It's beautiful. But as you look at your list, maybe you're feeling like this effect that's happening, as you look at your list and listen to what I just said, is that your problems didn't go away. (laughs) Like we still leave this room and life still kind of sucks. Like it's still kind of hard or really hard. Just knowing those things, even believing them, doesn't fix the immense pain and suffering that happens in this world, and it won't just fix it. So what I want to know is, is there a way, like, is there something that we can do every day that actually bridges that gap of what I believe to be true? And what I am experiencing now, like the pain and darkness in my life compared to the glories of Christ. Like, how do I actually connect? How do I stay attached to the vine? How do I stay connected to him in the midst of my suffering and my pain? And I wanna try to give you a strategy um, that you could do every day, and it's incredibly simple, as a way to bridge that gap to say, like, man, I can't just pretend like I'm not in pain but I don't want my pain to become the only thing that I ever think about. Like I actually want to be with Jesus in the midst of my pain. Here's a strategy of what you could do every single day. And it's called a prayer of lament. So you can go ahead and flip your Bible to Psalm chapter 13. And I'm just going to show you what this looks like. We're going to do it together. While you're flipping there, I'm just going to talk for a minute that here's what the idea of lament is, is that, I want to bridge the gap, release that story to God and say like, this is what I hate and yet I still want to be with you in the midst of the pain that I'm feeling. Fortunately, the Bible is full of people who were suffering and they showed us how to suffer. The book of Psalms is literally God saying to his people, you are gonna wanna know how to worship me, but you're not gonna have any of the right words to say. So I'm gonna give you the words to say in the midst of your suffering. That's what Psalms is. It's like God telling us how we're to worship him and the good and the bad. And there's like a, over 40 Psalms of lament. So here's what you can do, your strategy. You can just Google this, a list of the Psalms of lament and do one every day. This is a, if there's over 40 of them, you can just do them. One, a unique one every day of the month and just keep doing that until that gap begins to bridge. And here's all it is. I'm going to show you how simple it is. If you're looking at Psalm 13 on your phone or your Bible or you're not and you're looking at the inside of your eyelids, just listen. Here's how it works. The strategy is you take the word of the psalm, take the words and use those words as your own. You don't have to think of anything. You don't have to be creative. You're in pain. Who wants to be creative when you're in pain? Nobody. You take those words and let them be the guide on how you're to pray. Okay? So I'm going to show you first, I'm going to read Psalm 1 and show you what I prayed, the kinds of things I prayed when I'm in the hospital with Ruth. The first verse says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So I'm in the hospital, I said, look at how simple this is. Lord, how long, how long am I going to feel forgotten? And are you going to forget me Forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me, God? feels like I can't even see your face. How long? See, that's all I did. And I would go on to the next verse. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to literally, I'm going to read a verse and then give a minute of silence. And I just want you to pray. From that verse, you don't have to get creative. You don't have to be crazy. Just literally use the words of that verse and pray about your list, about the painful things in your life and pray them. And then I'll move on to the next verse and give you a second of silence. Then move on to the next verse. And you are just going to go through a prayer of lament that I'm encouraging you to do every day. Okay. Verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, nobody is going to do that once and be like, oh, my, I'm better. But, I, but I'm convinced, and this has been my story, and I know it will be yours as well, is that if this is a pattern in your life, to say, God, teach me, teach me how to connect to you in the midst of my pain, that he will actually bridge that gap. He will actually bridge the gap of you being able to go through pain, process it, acknowledge the story for what it is, remember the great shepherd who came and died for you, and connect those to enjoy him while being in the midst of pain. That's our strategy every single day. Now, how I want to close with you guys is I kind of want to, I just want to share with you, um, I want to share with you my, this is probably the most tangible example of what this looked like for me in the midst of going through this stuff with Ruth. And so like 300 of you don't ask me later, my daughter, her final surgery took like seven or eight hours, but it was successful by God's grace. And he has sustained my daughter and she's doing really well. And um, we're so thankful for this last year of what he's done. Um, But yeah, just the most painful season that I could ever imagine and still feeling week by week effects from everything there. And yeah, so Ruth is doing really well. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to show you guys, what did this look like for me, specifically dealing with that verse that I hated more than any other verse. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I'm not a poet at all in any way. Well, maybe. You be the judge, I guess. But I never advanced in poetry beyond Dr. Seuss. So like poetry that doesn't rhyme doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's poetry. I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. But you're going to hear a poem from me. This is a vulnerable moment, but most of you are strangers, so I'm okay with it. But I'm going to... Thank you. Thank uh, <laughs> you. I'm going to read for you guys uh, a poem, but it's two parts. One part was written on uh, September 21st, which was the day of Ruth's final surgery. The one that I said it was going to be seven, eight hours. And it was the big one. The one that I genuinely, my wife and I had no clue. And the surgeon really like was hopeful. We had no idea if we would see Ruth again after the third surgery. So this this was in the midst of this reflecting on Job chapter 1. And then I did nothing with this poem for like nine months. And the second half of it is on July 25th. So almost a year later, I finished it. Because what happened is I was, I was reading a book that talked about this verse in Lamentations, which says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope. And when you're in pain, the one thing that you want is hope. It says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I'll have hope. And in the Old Testament, when they conquered the promised land, it was divided up and the people were given portions. They were like, This is your portion. And what the scriptures say to the people of God is that the Lord is my portion. Like you have been given God Himself if you've trusted in Christ. He's yours, you're His. Like the Lord is my portion. And that helped me, and some of the other texts that we've talked about helped me to finish, finish this. So I'm going to read it for you guys, and i don't never read it to anybody besides my wife. So here we go. September 21st, Ruth's third surgery. Job 1:20 20 through 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How did he say it on the worst day of his life? How did Job mean it when they all had died? How could you worship when your heart's filled with strife? Is that what it means to live by faith and not by sight? He gives, he takes. He gives, he takes. But what's left in my heart is just a bitter taste of providence, no doubt, but it stings like mace. And I wonder if rejoicing can ever come from this pain of the bones he's broken and continues to break when the heart of my wife visibly aches and the tears of my daughter run down her face and the feeling inside me welling up is my hate. But what do I hate? Is it God? Is it man? Is it me? Is it the world? Is it the result of sin? My heart is so cloudy it's harder to see the thoughts and the feelings inside of me. And I avoid prayer because it gets hard to breathe. And I need more faith, but God, you don't see. Why don't you see? God, why don't you see? The only thing felt is that you've forsaken me. You've forsaken me. Yes, you've forsaken me. My God, my God, you've forsaken me. July 25th, 2023. But wait, I'm not the first to shout this to God. There was one who drank more than the shadow. But the substance of death was his to the dregs, so I would not face the gallow. There was one who did not feel crushed, but was crushed for me. By providence, no doubt, for in it God was pleased. The wedding feast where Jesus said, woman, it's not my time to die. He sipped on sorrow in the midst of joy, thinking of you and I. So we could sip the sip of joy surrounded by crushing pain. When all is lost and lost is all with Christ, all still is gain. There is no pain, no sting in full because my savior's crushed that serpent's skull. How could he say it on the worst day of his life? Did Job mean it? Did he fake it? Was it real? Was it a lie? No, it was real. Job got something I never did. His God was his portion, meaning God was given to him. This portion is good containing all goods in one and it could never be taken not by famine, fire or flood. So land and riches may go. Yes. Even his daughter's life could fade dim, but Job's God could never be taken from him. Let's pray. Father, we, we would be left in eternal suffering forever. If you had not seen our pain and sent your son to die for us. We we want to be a people that cling to Romans eight eighteen for the rest of our lives, that we do not consider the sufferings of this present time worthy in comparison to the glory that will be revealed to us. And I ask God for the people in this room that came because they are in the midst of a dark season, that you would remind them that you sent your son Jesus to go lower than they ever could, to exalt them in his resurrection, to give hope beyond anything else imaginable and to give strength because we have a savior who suffers with us. And for every person in this room, God, there is no doubt that in the next 20, 30, 40 years, if you allow us to live that long, if you give us the days, we know that they will be hard. And we pray that we will be encouraged and strengthened and reminded that the Lord is our portion. Therefore, we will have hope that hope comes from Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.